0: blessed to have Corey Trevathan with us tonight. I hope I said that last name right. Uh, Corey is the preaching minister of the Riverside Church of Christ in Coppell, Texas. He's been in Texas since 2015. Um, He is a graduate of the Lipscomb University. He's married to, I know I got this wrong, I said Alicia. Is that right? It is right, okay. Earlier I said it wrong. Uh, They have three beautiful children, which I had the benefit of eating supper with, and so I got to meet them. And for some strange strange reason, he likes Auburn University and the Atlanta Braves. I don't know why. But anyway, so I I feel for him. Uh, But Corey, come talk to us about healing tonight. All right. It's true, I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as quick as I could. And so uh, we are, uh, Alicia and I, my wife and I, are really honored uh, to be here tonight. And our family, our kids are upstairs with your kids, enjoying the program, and that's uh, just fantastic. Doug, where's my uh, my deal. There we go. Sorry, before you walk away there. Perfect. That's it. Hey, we got it. All right, fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Really honored that Doug would ask me. I, I got to come last year and spend some time with you guys, and was honored then to to come and to get to know uh, Doug and his wife, and, and uh, get to meet many of you and. Really excited to be invited back, so I guess last year I didn't mess it up too bad. And so, thanks, uh, thanks again uh, for having me back and, and uh, for the chance to be with you tonight. I really love that you're talking about this idea of having a heart for the city, because I believe God has a heart for your city. And if you think about it, uh, throughout the whole story of God, throughout the, the whole story of when the church started, it seems like God has always used the local church, positioned in key cities to spread his gospel throughout the world. And so it's pretty exciting for me to think about what God has positioned this church to do in this city to spread his gospel throughout the city and throughout the world because that's what God does. Um, tonight I want to start with this question uh, for you. That's the wrong way. Uh, there we go. Who has God? God positioned you to share the love of Christ with? Who has God positioned you to share the love of Christ with. As Doug said, my wife and I, we have uh, three, we think they're beautiful children. Um, This is a recent family photo uh, uh, that we we had taken up uh, in the Dallas area. What you don't see is the other, you know, 45,000 pictures taken before and after this when they weren't smiling and they weren't looking. What you don't see is the bag of M&Ms by the photographer's feet. If they did smile, they got one, right? This is the one good shot. Uh, these are our kids: uh, Ella Grace on the end in my lap. She is uh, nine years old. Will in the middle, as will turn eleven next week. Hard to believe. And Emma Love on the very end in my wife's lap. Uh, she is six years old and thinks she's sixteen. Um, and they keep us busy. We we love we love this season of life. But I'll tell you a quick story, Ella Grace, uh, our oldest daughter there, a couple of weeks ago, it was, that time, it was one of those days, it was time to clean the house, and in our house, when it's time to clean the house, everybody has a job to do, and so all the kids had their chores, and Alicia had, you know, all of the things that she did, and my job is always to vacuum, mainly because I don't know where things go, so I'm useless in terms of putting stuff up, you know, uh, and so I can vacuum, and so I start, you know, on my deal, get the vacuum out, I'm working my way uh, from room to room throughout the house, and Uh, as always as always do uh, the last room that i vacuum is our master bathroom and and you know how this works uh, if you've ever cleaned your house uh, you know you vacuum those little bath mats first and then you put them up out of the way and then we've got those classic tile floors and i vacuum them and and then i put it all up and help the kids finish up their jobs and you know the day goes on fast forward to that night we tell our kids hey it's shower time go get in the shower uh, get ready for bed and Ella Grace uh, goes and gets in our shower in the master bathroom. That's, that's what she always does. That's pretty normal. She goes in there, and they, they start, you know, uh, doing their thing. And a few minutes later, Alicia and I were in one of the kids' rooms, and we hear this thud and then this blood-curdling scream. What happened? We drop everything, and we run in there, and there's uh, my daughter, Ella Grace, uh, lying on the floor um, when, 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 when I had tradition my chores, I'd forgotten to put those bath mats back out, and when her wet foot hit that tile floor, she went for a ride, and her head hit the back of the floor, and there was blood everywhere, and she was screaming, Alicia was panicking, and I was like, you know, what do we do, and trying to stop the, you know, stop the carnage there, and, you know, immediately, we're like, you know, what what do we do? We're looking at each other like, this hasn't happened yet. We haven't had a crisis, uh, you know, yet in this house, in this place. Like, who do we call? What, what, what hospital do we go to? Which ER do we go to? We have no idea. We're bad parents. We haven't mapped this out yet. And, uh, but, but it hit me that uh, Alicia, that, that, uh, you know, we have some friends at church that are doctors. I'm like, hey, call Leanne. She'll know what to do. And uh, so she she gets a hold of her. She says, "Hey, my husband. He's a surgeon, by the way. Uh, is on call. He's at home. Let me call him. He'll come over." I'm like, "Great!" <laughs> you know, we're not have to call 911. There's no ambulance involved. Sure enough, like within 10 minutes, this is the best deal ever. He shows up at her house. He walks in. At that point, Ella Grace has calmed down and Alicia is too. And um, he walks in the door and you know looks at her head. And sure enough, he's like, "Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty bad gash, but I think it's going to be okay." And he looked at Ella Grace. He's like, now, do you think you need stitches? And she was like, no. (laughs) And he's like, you know what? I don't either. And as soon as he walked out of the room, uh, Ella Grace reported to me that Dr. Ed was her favorite doctor. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, she was okay and it was all good. But uh, it was one of those moments that, you know, what do you do? Who do you call when you're hurt, right? What do we do when we're hurt? We call for help. And maybe maybe one of the worst feelings is being hurt and not knowing where to go to get help. Have you been there? What do you do when you're hurt, or when you're hurting? And you don't know where to go for help. Some, some of you are there, some of you have been there, some of you are going to be there. It's not like it is on those doctor TV shows where they solve the problem and they figure out the disease in 30 minutes with commercials, right? <laughs> they work it out so quickly there. It doesn't happen that way in real life. What do you do and where do you go when you're hurting, and who do you call for help? Maybe the worst feeling in the world is hurting and honestly not knowing who to call or who to talk to. And it may be a sickness, it may be some sort of disease or so, some sort of medical problem, but it's not always that. It may be relational, something's going on in your, in your marriage or with your kids or with your family, something's broken. You don't know who to go to, you don't know who to talk to, you don't know, you don't know how to fix it, you don't know how to, how to get the help you need or who to go to to find the help you need. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's with your job, sometimes it's with a decision that's coming up that, that you've got to make and, and you don't know where to go for help. And the worst feeling in the world is knowing that you need help but not knowing who to call to get the help you need. I love that all summer long you've been digging into some of these Old Testament stories uh, about the people of God and God's heart for, heart for his people. And I, I love that because God's heart for his people is unchanging, you know. That, that's something that's always been true. God has always had a heart for people. And that's, the, the, uh, that's true tonight in the story we're going to look at in 2 Kings 5. Uh, if you have a Bible or a device, you want to turn that on, open that up, 2 Kings 5. We're going to look at the story about a man by the name of Naaman. And this story, I think, really proves and and sort of sorts out for us how God has always had a heart and a desire for all people. And so the story starts in 2 Kings 5. We'll start in verse 1, where it says, The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman. He was the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy so so right off the bat we're introduced to this guy named Naaman who is a commander in the king of Aram's army right so Naaman is a person of power he's a person of position a person of prestige he's important man but he's got a problem he can't fix you know people like this right you, you may not know Naaman but you know people like Naaman he's the guy that's got it all figured out he has all the answers but the problem for Naaman is now he's got a problem that he can't fix and he doesn't know where to go to to get help he doesn't know what to do. It's one thing to have a problem, but to have a problem where there's no answers, well, you know what that leads to, right? That leads to a loss of hope. And in this moment, in this story, even as it begins, we find out that Naaman is a person who is losing hope, feeling pretty hopeless. Verse 2, at this time, the Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. And one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Now, for me, this is where the story gets really interesting. I know if you, if you grew up in church, if you have been around church, if you, you know, came to VBS, you heard this story. But when you really start reading through it and thinking about it, it's, it's pretty interesting, right? Because here's Naaman, who's the commander of an enemy army, and we find out in verse 2 that his army has invaded Israel and been successful in that, right? I mean, this is, we're talking about the commander of an enemy army who's come in, who has come in and taken captives. And one of those captives is a young girl who's now serving his wife at their house. And she says, it's her idea. I wish my master, I wish my Gentile master, I wish the military commander of the enemy army that came into my village and killed all my friends and took me as a hostage, would go see the prophet where I used to live because he could heal him of his disease. You know? And I have no idea, but I wonder if somehow, it's, it's, isn't it always, like Doug said earlier, it's a it's kid's, right? It, interesting that, that it's always through the eyes of a child and the faith of a child that maybe we learn the most about the heart of God. I love that this slave girl is the one that has this bright idea to say, hey, I wish he would go see this man of God because. My God can heal my master if he would just go see him. God's desire, get this, God's desire for his chosen people was always to be a light for all people. You know this, right? This was always God's idea and God's plan. This is the reason God had a chosen people. This is the reason God set the people of Israel aside to be his people so that they could be a light to the nations. But what Israel did over and over again was fail in that purpose, right? But somehow the slave girl knew that God's heart wasn't just for her people. His heart was for all people. His heart was, was for the people of God to always turn, turn their attention outward. But what happens so often is that they would turn inward, right? The people of God, they often turned inward when God was desiring for them to shine outward. And the problem is, and you know this too, that still happens today. But this slave girl in her faith, in her childlike faith, knew that the heart of God was different. So verse 4, Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. That sentence alone should be like, what? Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I'll send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying his gifts of 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman, and I want you to heal him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. Don't you love this? The king of Israel knows Naaman has come here before with his army and conquered us. Now he's coming back with raising the white flag, walking into our village saying, I want you to heal me of my leprosy. So you know what the king of Israel is thinking, right? Like, if this doesn't happen, you know, if I disappoint the king of Aram in this matter, if Naaman's dreams are dashed and he's not healed uh, by our prophet and by our God, what's going to happen? Probably another attack. (laughs) And this time, they're going to take all of his captives. As far as the king of Israel knows, this is a lose-lose scenario, and it doesn't end well for him or for his people. So think about that the king of israel the king of the people of god had absolutely no faith in god or the prophet of god but the slave girl who had been taken captive who was now living in a distant land had all the faith she needed man the story's about naaman but i'm telling you the slave girl's my favorite character <laughs> So, verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him, why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. Elisha basically says the same thing, where is your faith? Send Naaman here. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Now, this is crazy because Naaman had traveled all this way to see Elisha, but Elisha doesn't seem to have the time to stop what he's doing to go see Naaman, right? And I've wondered all week, what is that about? It seems to me and I don't know if this is true but it seems to me that Elisha even in this in this moment didn't he didn't want to be the center of the story, right? Elisha knew Elisha knew what the king of Israel didn't know. Elisha knew what Naaman didn't know. Elisha knew that he didn't have the power to heal Naaman, but that God did. And he wanted God to be the center of the story. He wanted God Yahweh, the God of Israel, to be the headline character in the story. And so he sends a messenger out to and to give him the instructions to go do what he's supposed to do so that he can be healed. In humility, Elisha stays out of the center of the story. And maybe made me think, you know, how many times have we done this? I know I've done this. I've been so guilty of this. How we have inserted ourselves into the story of God and made ourselves the headline character. How we have told the story of what God has done, all the while making ourselves the hero of the story. But that's not what Elisha does Elisha keeps God at the center of the story. But Naaman, verse 11, became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. In other words, doesn't he know who I am? He said, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call the name of the Lord as God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and uh, the Abana and the uh, Farpar and better than the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in rage. Naaman is pretty upset. <laughs> he is incredibly disappointed, right? Just like any of us would be, right? I mean, he had an expectation. And any you're upset, I don't know if you've noticed this about yourself. It's true of me. It's true, I think of all of us. But, but anytime if you notice yourself becoming angry or upset, it's always because of an unmet expectation. And right here, Naaman had this expectation that the man of God would come out, wave his hand over, and perform some mighty miracle, and he would be instantaneously healed. Naaman wanted a person-centered experience with Elisha, but Elisha wanted Naaman to have a God-centered experience with Yahweh. Elisha knew where the power was to change naaman's life and he wanted naaman to experience it for himself and the farther he could distance himself from the story the more naaman could draw near to the one who was at the center of the story god and god alone verse 13 but his officers tried to reason with him and said sir if the prophet had told you to do something difficult Wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times, as the man of God had instructed him. And get this, his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Naaman basically drops back and throws a Hail Mary pass, hoping that it's going to get caught, right? Right? I don't know that Naaman had a whole lot of faith in this moment but he's hoping against hope that if he just does what the prophet says that somehow it'll work. And drum roll, it does. It does. Naaman's humble obedience in this moment leads to his healing. And I think this is always true that humble obedience to God always leads to the healing of God. And and, and hear me when I say this, and don't misunderstand me when I'm saying this, because I'm not saying that your humble obedience will always lead to your physical healing. You and I both know that's just not true. God is not a genie in a bottle. God doesn't answer to us. But I do believe that this principle is true, that humble obedience to God always leads to the healing of God. And if you've ever been at a crossroads in your life where you had to choose to, in humility like Naaman, do something he didn't want to do, be obedient to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe, then you know that whenever you choose humble obedience, it always results in healing. Maybe it's the healing of a relationship because you finally said, I'm sorry. Maybe it was the healing of your financial situation. Because you finally started doing your finances God's way instead of your way. I don't know what it is. But I know this is true. Humble obedience to God always results in the healing of God. We used to sing a song. We we still do sometimes. You know the song? Trust and what? Wow. What would happen in our lives, church, if we got back to simple trust, And simple obedience to God. How much pain would be avoided? How much hurt would be avoided if we simply trusted God? And if we literally obeyed God? Not talked about it, like did it. Like read the red letters of Jesus and did what they said. So much of our conversations, what we're kicking up against is not wanting to do what we know we should do, right? But if we got back to simple trust, and simple obedience, how would that change our lives? How would that change our church? And how would that change our city? If the city saw the church living out simple trust and simple obedience to God, Naaman obeys even in his doubt. And I love this. You know why I love this? How many times have you heard that old line? I mean, it's, 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 it's ancient now. You know, you didn't experience healing because you didn't have enough faith. Tell that to Naaman. <laughs> I'm not sure he had an inch of faith, right? It wasn't about his faith. It was about his obedience. It was about his humility. You know? That's what it was about. And his humble obedience led to his ultimate healing. My My guess is that when Naaman came up out of that water, no one was more surprised than he was that his skin was brand new. My other guess is no one was more delighted to see the look on his face than God. God not only rejoices in your humble obedience, God delights when he gets to provide your healing. And that's what God did for in that day. When I was growing up, I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama. That's why the whole Braves thing and Auburn thing. So you can, you know, when we sing the invitation song, I'll come forward and repent of those sins. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama. My dad was a uh, Bible teacher at a Christian school and a chorus director, and so as soon as I got into high school, I got to sing in the chorus that he directed, and uh, in our chorus back in those days, would travel around to different churches on Sunday nights and sing and uh, do, our, do our little concert, and uh, one day, we went out to this church uh, out in the country, this country church, great church, and they were having one of those homecoming Sundays, you remember when we did these, and everybody would come back, and... It was a big day, and it was, it was during, you know, we had a big big potluck lunch, and everybody brought their favorite dish, and it was awesome. And, but it was like 120 degrees that day. It was like almost in the summertime. It was late spring. Alabama heat, hot, humid, you know, miserable. We're in these, you know, suits because we're singing in the chorus. So You've got these, you know, tall socks, you know, black suits, you know, just dark and hot And uh, sweating up a storm, we eat this big heavy meal, and then we stand on these risers to sing for what felt like four hours, right? And I remember, like it was yesterday, about halfway through uh, this performance, they've got the windows open because guess what? The AC's not working. (laughs) About halfway through the performance, I remember like it was yesterday. It was like I was singing, but I couldn't catch up. Everything was slowing down. Everything started kind of spinning and getting dark, and I thought, am I dreaming? (laughs) You know what I did? I'd locked my knees in this Alabama heat and uh, on a full stomach uh, singing my heart out for Jesus and these people I didn't know. And all of a sudden, you know, I start leaning and my friends think I'm joking, but I'm not joking. I don't even know what's going on at this point. And all of a sudden, it's like a pinball. They're like catching me. And then they they catch me and realize, no, I'm out. And they lay me down on the stage uh, behind uh, where the chorus was standing. I was on the top row my dad, the whole time, keeps directing. He never, he never stops. He just keeps going. He could care less, you know? If it was anybody else, he might not stop, but he was me, and he was like, he's fine. He knew it had happened. All my friends kept singing. There were two doctors in the audience that cared enough, thank the Lord, to get up and to come back and to make sure I was still at a pulse, you know? Don't misunderstand me. My dad did the right thing. My friends did the right thing, but I was so thankful those guys got up and checked on me. I think the reality is, is that we live in a world right now where we need people to care enough to stop singing, stop directing, and to go bring healing to the people around us who need it most. I really do. I think we live in a world, and if I can just be real honest, just like church member to church member, you know. And I'm not being hard on this. But we we can sing with the best of them. We can talk about God with the best of them. But as I read the story of Scripture, it's a story of a God on the move. And it's a story of a God who's not contained inside the four walls of a building, who, who goes out into the cities to the people around us into the communities, into the neighborhoods, and taking hope to the hopeless. Taking help to the helpless. Serving the least of these is what he would say. And I wonder if we don't need to stop singing and go find a way to be serving. Take the hope of Christ and the love of Christ. Because we have a city... You have a city, I have a city that needs healing. It was this time last year, there were shootings just up the road in Dallas where I live. Our cities need healing from racism. Our cities need healing from homelessness. Our cities need healing from, yeah, actual physical sickness, from relationships that are broken, from poverty. From people who are hungry, from babies that are hungry. And God has positioned the local church, this church, in this city, to go. So that when people are hurt and are hurting, and they need to know who to call for help, God's got an outpost right here, ready. When we love our enemies and share the hope of God with them, we open the door for them to be eternally changed. What What we say most of the time is when we love God and when we love others. When we love others the way God loves others and share the hope that God has for them, that's when we open the door for them to be eternally changed. But you know what the story of Naaman shows us? that when a slave girl loves the military commander of the enemy army and shares the hope of God with him, that she could open the door for him to be eternally changed. Because God has always, God has always loved all people. God came to save you, but God didn't come just to save and God's plan from the beginning of time has always been for us to share the love of Christ with everyone so that everyone could come to know his love. You remember this verse? For God so loved people that look like me and think like me and behave like me and talk like me that he gave his one and only son so that if, when they believe, they can be saved and experience eternal life. Right? No, that's not what it says. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. It wasn't God so loved people just like me. It was that God so loved the world. And I think what God is waiting for, and it's already happening, it's happening in this church, I believe it, is that God wants us to have a heart not just for people just like us, but God has a heart, wants us to have a heart for people who don't look like us, right? That's why I love coming to this church. I can see the kingdom of God in this room. It's a beautiful picture. Right? God wants us to participate in making things on earth as they are in heaven. And heaven's going to be beautiful, a beautiful combination of people of all tongues, of all nations, of all tribes, coming together in one voice to worship one king, Jesus. Because God so loved the world. And so my prayer... My prayer is that we would have the courage of a slave girl, the faith of a prophet, and the love of Christ to bring healing to our city. My prayer for you is that you would have the courage of a slave girl, that you would have the faith of the prophet Elisha, and that you and I could experience the love of Christ So deeply that we would be compelled, compelled to love others with that same love. That we would be compelled not just to love them, but compelled to action. That we would believe what Elisha would believe, and we would believe what the slave girl would believe. That there is a God, and he has a heart. He has a heart not just for all people, but he has a heart. For those not like me. Did you know that God loves your enemies? And God wants to save them. And God wants to save you. And I pray that you as a church and we as the church could lean into the heart of Christ. That we might share his love with the world. Let's pray. God, we believe that you are good and your love endures forever. And tonight, I just pray that you would use this ancient story of the slave girl, of Elisha, of Naaman, to remind us that, God, you have always had a heart for all people. And that your desire has always been to save all people. And that, God, you don't want any to perish. But you want all to experience eternal life in your Son, Jesus Christ. And that, God, you have positioned each one of us and you have positioned the local church to take the heart and the love of Christ and to share it with those around us and those in the city and those around the world. God, may we not be like the nation of Israel who who you would set aside to shine your light to the world, but they kept it to themselves. God, may we shine your light to the world and share the love of Christ with those who live next door, with those who work right beside us, with those down the street with those at the store, God, wherever we are. God, may we be a people who share and shine the light and the love of your Son, Jesus Christ. This is our prayer through Jesus.